0: Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to another edition of Felony Friday, a weekly show right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Of course, for new listeners, Felony Friday is the only show that focuses every single week on exposing injustice in this nation's broken criminal justice system. And this is one of three other shows that we have here on Lions of Liberty. We have a show every Monday hosted by Mark Clare. It's our longest-running program, our flagship program, where Mark interviews leaders in the libertarian movement and hosts roundtable discussions. Every Wednesday, we have a show hosted by Brian McWilliams. It is called Electric Liberty Land, and it is your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty. And sandwiched between those shows, every Tuesday, we have our newest show. Actually, it's now every Tuesday and Thursday for the next couple of weeks. It's called Candidates of Liberty, where we interview libertarian candidates running for office. And we've got a lot of great feedback from that show for a limited time with those two shows, the flagship program ELL, and two Candidates of Liberty episodes. Along with Felony Friday, we have a a five-day-a-week podcast. So you don't want to miss a single one of these episodes. Make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast. Tune in. Just yell at your Alexa. Play Lines of Liberty. However you listen to your podcast. Be sure to subscribe so they are delivered to your phone every single Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday for this limited time when we have this five-day per week podcast. That's all I got, guys. Actually, wait, hold on. One more note. I want to talk about a uh, partnership we have where you've heard about on our other our show, you've heard it advertised on our other show, but I want to talk about ammo.com. Now we have a deal that we that ammo.com is offering lines of liberty listeners. I know that the guys at Ammo.com are fans of this show. They are libertarians, and they want to reach out to our audience. They want to give our audience a special deal. They're offering 20% off for purchases of $200 or more in Ammo.com. Who doesn't need more ammo? Who doesn't want more ammo? Everybody needs to buy ammunition. So what I want you to do is to go to Ammo.com slash Lines of Liberty. And Buy your ammunition through that link. You'll get set up with the code, all that good stuff. Get your discount. Go to ammo.com slash lines of liberty and place an order today. Now, let's get rolling with today's show. My guest today on Felony Friday is Ken Bright. Ken spent 20 years incarcerated, and after being released, after uh, re-entering society... Uh, he's done some pretty cool things, like uh, working trading on Wall Street, and he's also the founder and president of the Life Progressive Services Group. And what this group does is they help out with reentry, uh, transition back into into society. They're also an a, a, a advocacy group, and they advocate for formerly incarcerated men and women, and they help to educate and help to make a difference in their lives so they can find success reentering society. Ken, welcome to Felony Friday.
1: Thank you. Pleasure to be here.
0: Well, thanks for coming on the show, Ken. And one thing I like to do uh, when I bring my guests on is, you know, for the benefit of my listeners, they can get uh, perspective on on you and learn more about you. Just to give a general overview of, uh, really, your past. Just some, just some key things like where you grew up. You know, where you're from, what city. You know, what your life was like growing up.
1: Sure. Um, Well, as you said, that uh, I am a formerly incarcerated, uh, individual, uh, who spent 20 years, uh, but, uh, following back, I grew up in Queens, Jamaica Queens to be exact, until I was about, about 18, 19. Uh, 16 is when I started my criminal life. Uh, I dropped out of school, chasing, chasing women, chasing money, chasing anything that make you look decent or think you think you look decent and it took me uh in different barriers of crime uh till i was about maybe 24. 24 is when I, I became incarcerated but that didn't happen there i was incarcerated in queens when i was just, when i was a youth there in nassau county uh those who are familiar with that and when i was in my 20s i moved to the bronx Naturally, I was committing crimes there. Uh, I got arrested when I was, like, as I said, 24 years old. And I went in. Uh, I got 20 years. It wasn't my first incarceration, but it was the first felony I got. So I did 20 years in there. But while I was inside, uh, the first three years, to be honest, I really didn't, I didn't get it. I was still acting out, toxic, if you will. Uh, I like to use that term because uh, toxic is, is what I was uh, to the community, to myself as well. Um, so what I did for the first three years, I just played basketball, hung out with guys, uh, really not trying to go anywhere until I met some individuals inside because I, I was always going to the box, fighting or, or uh Uh, Not following the rules inside the institution, just creating havoc inside, and naturally I spent time in the box for many small things, but nevertheless, it got me through the box. Uh, So while you're in there, I had a chance to rethink my life a little bit. On top of that, I've had individuals who actually are older than I am after about three years, who actually would pull me to the side and, and... try to educate me on certain things. I was very much interested in the, at that time in the law library, because that was the place where everybody tried to get their freedom. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I noticed that while you're in there trying to get your freedom, you're also learning to read. You're being Mm -hmm. forced to learn to read when you're trying to, uh, uh, deal with your case. Uh, because you have to know certain things about the law, you have to know how to uh, search law books, search for the for the newest cases, uh, the cases that were uh, precedent, if you will. So you, you had a, it, it was a place not only just to, to to try to learn your case, but you learn a lot about the law in general, and you learn how uh, decisions are made. So it, it was an education for me at that beginning point. But in society, uh, uh, when I came into population, as I said, you mingle with individuals. And I started mingling with guys who were basically who did more time than I had, who'd been in there maybe 10, 15 years long before I even came to jail. But I learned a lot of things from them. And I always wondered why these individuals didn't go home. And they was always sending people home who did one, two, three years, but didn't learn anything. This is, this is, this is, I found very, very critical. I found out most of the guys who, uh, who do a lot of time are the ones who really actually transitioned themselves.
0: But why do you think that is?
1: I think because of the time they had the chance to isolate, they were in isolation. They had a chance to really think things out. Not saying they came in right away, and started getting their act together. I think they transitioned just as I might have the first couple of years, you know, they didn't take it serious, you know, uh, but as time go on, you do enough time. You're in that cell. You know, you have a chance to face your demons. You have a chance to, to really, uh, refocus your life and, 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 uh, assess yourself to use that term. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, everybody have their own path, but me speaking for myself, I had a chance to meet individuals who are actually who have done a lot of time, who are doing a lot of time, and who are actually transitioned and have a lot to offer because they offered me a lot. They they offered me their hand to teach me. They offered me their books. They offered me their information. They shared their life, their life story, and that actually actually therapeutically helped me.
0: So this is a, it's, a, it's an interesting concept, and I'm just kind of curious. Uh-huh. So you say the, the longer people are, are in, you know, they, they get a lot of time to reflect on their past and their mistakes on where they want to go with their life. Hopefully once they do get out. So you served 20 years. Is, yeah. is there a, a time during that sentence where you can point back and say, you know what? At year 11, I was ready to go back into society or year eight or year 15, whatever it be.
1: Well, to be honest with you, uh, being a formerly incarcerated, when you inside, you always want, you always think when you can get out that you. Oh right, forward. I'm.
0: I'm just kind of thinking the th- thinking back with the benefit of hindsight and, and, and everything you know today.
1: Well, I, I, it would had have to have been when I started going back to school. Uh, I had got my GED, and they had a course in uh, the college that was offering mm-hmm. a, a special course. It was a test, a trial test. Uh, they was bringing the college into the college uh, Mohawk, Mohawk uh, Community College I was on my way out but I had about uh, maybe five, six years to go before I actually uh, go to the board but they had a course in there uh, and at that time I was the president of the NAACP uh, and a couple of other programs I was a vice president uh, and the thing is this here when I was Going back to school, they offered a course in college college credits dealing with Wall Street, learning the market. Now, I found that very strange and very interesting uh, because there was really nothing in me on a college level being presented. So, as I said, it was a trial run. And so I was able to uh, get in this course. It was a year course, and I took it, and I found it very interesting. I learned a lot, and it also fitted into the fact is how come we actually, when I say we, I mean those who are disenfranchised don't know anything about this in society. And I, I, it also took me to the level of fact the education wasn't there. The opportunity wasn't there. So when this opportunity came inside, I took advantage of that. I passed that. And uh, that started the ball rolling to the fact is I was ready to go. I was ready to, to enter society, but I know that time didn't allow that at the moment.
0: How many years had you served at that point? I
1: served about 15. Mm-hmm. Served about 15 then. Because mostly because it, it came in at that point. But I say after doing, I say about maybe eight years is when my growth started to uh expand and then when i went Mm -hmm. to the college that's where i really got the idea because there i'm reading more Mm -hmm. about the market and uh trends algorithm algorithms and actually what how decisions are actually made
0: so were you able to actually follow the market while you were incarcerated every now and then i would get the i I couldn't get
1: the wall Mm -hmm. street journal and I couldn't get uh, 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 certain other papers, uh, European papers, but I would get the Times. You would get, you'd get the Times every now and then. Uh, mm-hmm. But as you know, it's all mm-hmm. speculative. Mm-hmm. But at least you had, but you had a guy At least once you understand how the market go, then you can. But you can't, you know, inside. You can't do. And all you can do is learn it
0: The cannabis industry has rapidly expanded. For those liberty lovers who want to take advantage of this growing industry, they've been met with a flood of government taxes and regulation. A lot of cannabis companies would just love to hire a full-time CFO, but that could be super, super expensive. But what if you could have the knowledge and experience of this full-time CFO at a fraction of the cost? If you're in the cannabis business or you plan on entering the fray, then you need to schedule a free consultation with the Grow CFO. Rachel Kennerly. The Grow CFO will help to maximize cost of goods sold deductions by employing accrual and cost accounting, creating tax savings, and improving cash flow. They will keep your books in an audit ready state. If you or someone you know is either already in the cannabis industry or thinking about jumping in the fray, go to thegrowcfo.com and schedule a free consultation today. That's interesting that they were there was a course for uh, for trading stocks and pre- I haven't I haven't heard of that before. So yeah, it was very interesting. Obviously, once medicine- you got released, you went and you got yeah. your your license, right? You took your what is it, Series Five?
1: Well, yeah, exactly. Well, I got the certificate, and what happened is when I got out, I went to the feds because I had uh, uh, two years to do in the feds, Uh but only he did one. But it gave, but it what happened is sent me to uh, Cherry Hope, Indiana in the federal facility there. So and I also had an introspection being you brought that up. is what happened is, is while I was there, I looked at it through the years, but I really took an idea there when I was in Indiana. I said, "You know what, I'm not going back to New York because I understand the pitfalls of New York. Fast New York, I knew me. Uh, not saying I would go into crime, but New York is not a good place to try to start off something with nothing you understand yeah so and especially if temptation is there, people who know you uh 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 it, it, it's it's very conflicting, so what I did when i i got parole from there, I went to atlanta <clears throat> uh a doctor allowed me to stay at his house. Uh, on parole there, federal parole. And while I was there, I had a chance to communicate with some individuals. I knew who did work in the market in New York. And they told me that there was going to be a series five test being taken. And it was six months ago down the road. So what I did was gather my little coins and came back to New York and took the test. It was a week test, week long test. And I passed it. Now, the thing is this here. I passed it, but the key is getting in the door.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: See, that's the thing, the, the, getting in the door. And it was, I was fortunate enough to knew some individuals who believed in me and was really absolutely surprised that I knew what I knew and was willing to give me a chance even though I knew they, need, they needed a minority also on their, in their firm. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so so, they were, so then, but they were able to look past your, your felony on your record, right? It,
1: and give, exactly. And, and the reason why is because the bottom line is if you can do the work, that's the thing. If you can do the work, that's all they want.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If, you can do, if, you can, if you can help them make money, that's what mm-hmm. they want. If you can be in compliance with their firm and don't cause any trouble, They'll work with you. That was, but that's rare. It's very rare. But at the same time, I worked it three years as assistant trader, as assistant trader on the floor. I was called a point clerk, where you would gather all the information from the head trader, find out, keep an eye on the board, see, recognize the changes. And make the changes known in a split, section, split second to the firm mm-hmm. or whoever's trading at that particular time.
0: How intense is that job?
1: It, it's very high tense. It, it, it's, the errors can be uh, catastrophic. It, it can be catastrophic because you, uh, you can put a wrong trade in or a wrong number or you can hear something wrong over the phone. And then you're dealing with people's money. It's, uh, it's very high tense,
0: mm-hmm. very
1: high tense. Um, it's very, <laughs> I, I, I think, uh, uh, once you get into it, you have to actually get used to it because it can be brutal, you know, because you can make a a bad, uh, a, a bad decision or give a bad quote to a person, to a trader. It can cost you. It not only costs you, but it costs the firm. Mm-hmm. So it's it's uh, it's very immediate.
0: So you did that for for three years, and then then two and two and a half to be exact. Okay.
1: Two and a half years to be exact. Uh, and uh, what happened is uh, the market took a dip at that particular time, and it hurt that particular firm. So naturally, I was the last hired. That's why I'd be the first fired. <laughs> but it was it was a tremendous experience and uh they gave me enough uh separates uh for my time there. So it gave me a chance to uh move out of there and uh, start my own program.
0: was this back in two thousand eight when the market took a dip? Was it correct. Okay. So yeah, so you started so you moved from you know really just having incredible success being able to come out of prison and get into that field which is extremely rare i would think and what what motivated you to to start the life progressive services group well <laughs>
1: as i said when i was inside uh i studied a lot of things and 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 uh it set me on the path of recognizing the disenfranchise of my community, mm-hmm. meaning the African-American community or people of color. Mm-hmm. And I really started uh, studying the dynamics of that and uh, the structure of it and seeing how it was actually designed to, uh, 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 I call it the breeding ground. I, I call, uh, uh, I call America the breeding ground of crime. And the reason I call it that because people are so cut off from, from so many opportunities that it puts them in a place to look for other ways to survive, which is usually criminality.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And I looked at that and I said, wow. And I realized my transition and what I needed. What worked for me, I figured that it it has to work for some of the individuals who are coming home, not only those who are coming home, but those who are inside, as well as prevention, those who haven't actually went down uh, the path of crime but on the verge. If you can explain uh, the dynamics of what they're up against and why it's so important for education, then I think... We can turn this tide, but policies have to change, and that's where advocacy comes in. Mm-hmm. But to answer your question, what made me go into it it is really uh, helping people. Uh, the theme I came up in my uh, in my organization I, I came up when I was incarcerated because I thought about reentry when I was inside, and I came up with the idea of green thinking because I studied environmental issues. When I was also in college, I studied the uh, ecology and I had a eureka moment when I studied ecology and I looked at uh, the different forms of uh, toxic in society, whether it's uh, carbon footprints, water keepers, you name it, recycling. And then I looked at it and I said, how come nobody applies it to mental health? Because most people who are actually going or becoming incarcerated are toxic in some fashion mm-hmm. whether was, uh, whether through their thinking and I looked at it and I said, they keep the difference between ecology and mindset. they separate the two, and I understood if people are toxic, everything they basically would do will come out of that form of toxicity. So I said, if we can change the mindset of people, detox their mindset, then we can work on something. It's like, it's like having a fence, an old fence that has old paint on it. You don't paint over that fence. You have to sand that fence, refine that fence for a new paint. That's the only way it'll stick better.
0: I like that. So what types of things would you do? What would you suggest? What does your program suggest for people to be able to actually change their mentality, to remove that toxicity? Well, the
1: first thing, assessment has to be done. There has to be assessment to find out what the person actually needs, because everybody's different. Most of the situations with individuals we're dealing with a high number, there's mental health, mental health involvement. So there's services that need to be where there's individuals who have different uh, uh, psychosis, if you will, that have to be dealt with. Because you can talk to them, have workshops. That all can help. But at the same time, there might be a, 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 a professional needed help that they need. So what we do is refer them out, first of all, to those who are capable uh, to provide professional treatment to them. But at the same time, <clears throat> you have to look to accept these individuals into society with open heart, with open arms. You can't be complicit when you're talking about changing a person's mindset or giving them an opportunity or to prevent them from recidivating if you're not treating them with humanity, if you're still looking at individuals who come home in a punitive uh, uh, level, then you're not really giving them an opportunity. And the thing about it, they'll recognize that right away. So what we do in our program, we provide a workshop. We provide workshops where we deal with everyday issues, everyday crisis, even down to certain things they need. In my program, we, we provide what is called preventive mechanisms. Under that that umbrella of, of preventive mechanisms, we provide clothing, professional clothing, in case they're looking for a job. Some of them come home and don't have no clothing, so we have those dungarees and khakis and things of that nature, to give them something to start off with, so they don't have to have no pressure. We provide them a uh, food pantry, We provide them toiletry. These little, little, little things can prevent a person from recidivating. Because if people don't have anything, they're going to resort back to what they do best or what they're known to do.
0: So what we try to do is they're put in a a desperate situation and given no tools, yeah, it's
1: exactly. But the most thing that we're dealing with now is advocacy dealing with uh, solitary confinement. This is what we're doing with advocacy inside the facilities. We're trying to prevent uh, close down isolation because as we know, anything beyond 15 days is torture according to the UN and the Geneva Convention. And it has been understood nationwide in the state facilities and they are social workers and psychologists who are also supporting these issues now where we don't believe in those uh, 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 punitive measures to uh, treat a person or to uh, put them on the right path, if you will.
0: So I, I would think with, with that, um, your group is nationwide, right? And a lot of that would probably be at the state level, right? You're not, that's not going to be dictated at the federal level.
1: Right. Well, I'm in the state level. Okay. I'm I'm located, I'm in New York. So uh uh Westchester to be exact. Uh so but yeah, but the issues uh is is nationwide. Mm-hmm. But we're focused here in the, uh New York uh in the New York State region okay. dealing with uh, uh isolation and halt.
0: So which what, what what, what types of uh what types of ad- advocacy do you do, or what what are you able to do to affect change in that area?
1: Well, we're pressuring uh, our Senate and legislators uh, for a campaign for alternatives to isolation confinement, isolated confinement, and halt with this mm-hmm. solitary confinement. Free New York campaign, but we also partnership with Just Leadership and the Corrections Association which also deals with that. But we also deal with RAP, which is the release aging uh, people from prison. Those who are uh, above age seniors who are mm-hmm. no longer a threat to society or to themselves. Mm-hmm. We, we think that's cruel for mm-hmm. them to continue to be locked up mm-hmm. and paying for them to be locked up when they can you know, uh, receive some type of treatment if they come home. They'll be treated a little more humanely by being, instead of being incarcerated. Plus, they'll be home with their family, and they have many stories to tell.
0: There is some statistic on aging prisoners when they are released and re- reintegrated into society. The, the amount of recidivism is so low, it's almost not measurable. I forget what the numbers are exactly, but it's like almost non-existent.
1: It is very low. It's very low. I don't have the, have the numbers myself at this point, but yes, it's very low because as I said to you earlier, we, we had talked previously, a lot of these individuals then did a lot of time. They're not trying to come out and commit no crime. They just want to live the rest of their life in their golden years. You know, I mean, to, to, to have a person to continue to have these individuals locked up is it, only punitive and and downright uncivilized. Because, and it's costing taxpayers, taxpayers don't pay the money, just hold seniors. It's unnecessary. Let them come home to their families. And at the same time, they can be an asset to their family because a lot of them coming home, there's youth around. So they have a story to tell. So they they can have a positive impact on society if just given this opportunity.
0: Yeah there's there's very rare situations that I could think of where it makes sense to keep someone locked in prison for life. Um it just goes back to what I mean what is the goal what is the role of prison? Is the is the goal to reform? If it's to reform, then it's sort of proving it's, itself that it's not achieving that goal when you're just keeping people locked in locked in that system for 20, 30, 40, no, 50
1: years. Um, no, they're just using, the, they're playing with words. A lot of times they call them correction facility. Where's the correction at? Right. It's another. So it's a play of words. They're using the words just to get, uh, or should I say, to uh, get society to go along with the agenda. See, they set the paradigm and people were just following it. But those of us who were formerly incarcerated Are in demand to change this. We're changing this narrative because we know it's uncivilized and we know it's not correct. If you're going to claim correction, then give true correction inside. Give treatment. Give proper treatment. Give services. Prepare people to come home to get a job. To send a person to have a person locked up 10, 15 years without any type of service and you're not getting true mental service. Most of them, they're in isolation. So now they're in isolation. Many of them are becoming insane from being locked up, tortured.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And then you want to let them out into society with maybe $40 and just the clothes on their back.
0: Yeah, it it really, I mean, talk about that specific thing right there, how the the prison system is really abusing these people, torturing, torturing uh, incarcerated individuals to the point that they're, they're not mentally stable, when they come out, they're creating a public, a public safety issue for trauma. For they're people. creating
1: it's, trauma. They're mm-hmm. creating trauma in society. And, and it's, not cor- it's not correct for citizens, taxpayers, to be traumatized. It's unnecessary. But they play on that traumatization through media. And everything else, and at the same time, I'm going to tell you, they'll let individuals out who might have did two, three, four years without any type of service. But those who've been inside 10, 15, 20 years and actually did their homework and changed their and transitioned their lives, they will never see the street.
0: So so let me but ask really you something. You, you you mentioned before that uh you know it was people in prison um you know older people who who had uh really experienced and you know had had knowledge and sort of mentored you and, and pulled you aside. And so it's sort of helped to you know, turn change your mindset. Um what what do you think can be done either from organizations like like uh like yours or from the system itself if if we could change it? What can be done to to speed up that process to uh to to get people you know getting that mindset change earlier,
1: it's the matter of getting our senators and our legislators getting the bills that we have out now signed and brought to the, and brought to the, to the fore where they become passed and at the same time continue to allow because now they are starting to allow those who are formerly incarcerated and became successful to enter the facilities now to do certain workshops and discuss issues. So it's, it's, it's changing. Uh, as we know, things don't change, you know, overnight, but it's changing. So the most important thing is having us at the table, those who are formerly incarcerated at the table, you can't discuss reentry without having us at the table. Mm -hmm. It's impossible for the simple fact is we know what works. We actually lived it.
0: Absolutely. Um, so, I, before I let you go, I want you to tell my audience number one, where they can learn more about your group, but also, you know, I, I don't know how, how you get funding or how that works. If you take donations, things like that, um, volunteering, <coughs> things like that, H- how can people help you?
1: Well, um, first of all, my organization is Life Progressive Services Group. We're located at 47 South Fifth Avenue, Mount Vernon, New York. You can Google me. Ken Bright, or you can Google Life Progressive Service Group or LPS Group. I am on Facebook. I'm the Ken Bright. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm also on Instagram as uh, the LPS Group Inc. I'm on PayPal, the LPS Group Inc. Uh, and anyways, Ken Bright, you can find
0: me. And can, I mean, so does your group accept donations? How does funding work? Yes. Do you- Yeah, uh, if funding is
1: uh, available, you can send it to the LPS group on PayPal. We don't have a website yet, but you can send uh, checks, money orders to 47 South 5th Avenue, Mount Vernon, New York, uh, in care of Life Progressive Services Group.
0: Okay, very cool. And just just one more thing before I let you go here, Ken. Um, Just if there's anyone out there listening who... If they have, if they, maybe a family member, a friend, a loved one who is getting out of prison soon or is hopefully getting out of prison soon, what what advice would you give to the families out there uh, to be able to help that individual reintegrate into society successfully?
1: Embrace them, have patience with them. Embrace them and have patience with them. Have tried to provide the services that they need. A lot of times they won't ask because a lot of times they want to be independent. If there's any organizations in that community, provide a food pantry to them, provide clothing for them, provide transportation for them. Uh, in different states in New York, Metro cards uh, are used in order for them to travel. Metro cards are very important for them to move around. Many times they have to go see their parole officer, but don't have no money. So if they don't have no money to get a metro card, they don't make it to see their parole officer. That's a form of recidivism.
0: Okay. Well, that is good advice, Ken. And I just want to thank you for sharing your wisdom today and also all the work you're doing. You uh, know, I, mean, I think it's, as you were saying before, people who incarcerated individuals who have been through the system are the ones who can really fix the system. And I'm, I, Believe that wholeheartedly. So thank you for all no. you do.
1: Yes. Those who are closer to the problem are closer to the solution. Thank you for your, Thank you for having me on.
0: All righty. Thank you. All right. All right, guys. Hopefully you enjoyed today's show with Ken Bright, um, another guy. And I've had a, a couple of these guests on, especially in the past, i would say, I don't know, 10, 20 episodes People who have experienced the criminal justice system and who are working to change things based on their own experience, I think this is the path forward. This is how the future is going to be written and the system is going to be saved. I myself, of course, I do not have experience, thankfully, within the criminal justice system. Of course, I have friends and family who have unfortunately experienced injustice at the hands of our broken criminal justice system. That is. One of the major reasons why I started the show, that's why I'm interviewing people like Ken Bright and giving him the chance to share his story with you all. So I appreciate Ken coming on the show, sharing his story. I appreciate everything that he is doing to change the criminal justice system and I appreciate you guys for listening. You know, I see the the numbers for Felony Friday. I see the numbers overall for Lions of Liberty. We are trending up. That is a great thing. We have good things to store for the future. We're going to be doing some more advertising on other libertarian podcasts to try to grow our numbers. Our pride our supporter group our Patreon supporter group, the Lions of Liberty Pride, which you can join by going to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. It's growing every month. It's growing and growing and growing. So good stuff is happening with the Lions of Liberty. Currently, we're doing five shows per week, which is unbelievable. It's probably not sustainable, and it's definitely going to stop at the election. This is just temporary with those Candidates of Liberty shows. But we thank, I just want to thank you guys for your support. Thank you to all of you who have joined the Lions of Liberty Pride. Thank you to all of you who are going to join the Lions of Liberty Pride because I just know it in the next, today, tomorrow, the next day, we always get, we get people joining every single day. So thank you in advance for deciding to give us five or 10 or 15 or $25 per month. You're going to enjoy the bonus content that we create every week. We have Recurring shows right now, degenerate gamblers being one, where really don't let the title scare you if you're not into sports or gambling. It's really just us, you know, talking shit, talking some liberty, telling some old stories, having a good time. Myself, Brian McWilliams, and Rico. It's a great show, one of my favorite ones to record. Then we also have Conspiracy Corner. That is the show where we dig into crazy conspiracies. It's a great time. One of our favorite shows within the Pride. Plus, we have bonus content. It has some bonus content from my friend Remzo, who I had on at Felony Friday last week. We talked about Kanye West and some other crazy things. So we do all these different things in the Lions of Liberty Pride. Just for that extra $5 per month, you get access to all of that. The more that you give us, the more access you get. And we appreciate every single dollar that you guys give us. Join us. Help us. Go to patreon.com slash lines of liberty. That's all I got. I'm a busy man right now. As most of you know, I manage Dale Kearns' campaign uh, in my free time, which is very limited right now. Dale Kearns is running for U.S. Senate in Pennsylvania. A lot of stuff going on right now. Exciting day tomorrow. He'll be in Pittsburgh. I'll be traveling around with him. So as I record this on a Thursday night, of course, I'm talking about Friday, which is when you'll be listening to this show. So thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you. For your support, this is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of Liberty burning.